Welcome to Indy's Real Estate Gurus. I'm Rick Ritma, your hardworking mortgage guy, and I've been in real estate and mortgages for over 34 years. I've helped over 5,200 folks finance their homes. My team and I believe <laughs> in custom tailored loans, not the one size fits all approach. We believe there is a right mortgage for you, and we are the team to deliver it. And I'm Ian Arnold, part of Brick's hardworking mortgage team. I've been in the financial industry for over 15 years, helping customers rebuild their credit to help them get the best possible interest rate. And I have a passion in helping you secure your overall real estate dreams and even helping you pay off your home even faster. And if you have any questions on Indy's real estate market or mortgages, please go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317-672-1938. That's 317-672-1938. And we're really excited today to have uh, Peter Stewart. And Peter has, a, I think, a very fascinating story. He's got a lot of experience. He's done a lot of different things, which I think is very interesting. Thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. And you have a company now. It's called... Peter Stewart Realty. Okay. Yeah, it's a small independent brokerage. I'm a managing broker and owner. Uh, it's just a kind of a small boutique residential brokerage here based in Carmel. Awesome. And we'll get into that in a minute, but before real estate, so what What was your, where'd you grow up? What did you do sure. before real estate? Yeah, I'll give you a quick background. So born and raised in Indianapolis, went to North Central, went to IU. Uh, as soon as I graduated college, I wanted to get the heck out of the Midwest for a little bit. So I ended up out in Los Angeles, uh, in Santa Monica specifically, had some friends and family out on the West Coast. So landed out there and uh, actually went right into the entertainment business. Now, uh, on the, we'll call it below the line. So behind the camera, I, I started work for Paramount Pictures and I was the executive assistant to the uh, production finance, uh, or a guy in production finance who oversaw basically the budgets for the television shows that they were producing. So started there and then ended up getting into accounting. I was a payroll accountant. So basically I was the person who cut all the checks for uh, a lot of people in the television side of things for Paramount. Uh, and specifically I was the accountant or the payroll accountant for the Everyone Hates Chris show, which is on the CW network okay. for all six seasons that that was out based on Chris Rock's life. Uh, so yeah, so I was, I was, I was, I was not a CPA, but in accounting, and that got really boring after a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's it's. Uh, I enjoyed it because I'm I'm a numbers guy. I like you know I'm a very logical thinker. So from that side of it, it it, it fit me well. But there's a ceiling in that job. You can be the best accountant in the world. You're only going to make so much money, and it is the same thing over and over, week yeah. after week, week after week. So I got very bored of that. And <clears throat> one day I was just having a conversation with my wife's cousin, who was a realtor in Long Beach, and she's out of the blue was like, Hey, you know what? you'd be really good as a real estate agent. And I never really considered that career before, even though my family's in the business. My grandfather was actually the president of the board of realtors here back, wow. I think that was back in the 50s. And he used to own a few apartment buildings. So there's some of that um, in, in my bloodline, so to speak. My two, uh, two uncles, one was uh, an agent in Seattle and one was an agent in San Diego too. So again, familiar with real estate and had it around me a little bit, but never was thinking about being an agent. And she said that and it kind of just, sparked you know something in my brain and i was like you know i'm ready for a change i want to do something different so i said okay and i went get my license and ended up in real estate uh so it was sort of just a random kind of again random conversation that that sparked that of course it happened to be in 2009 or excuse me 2008 <laughs> 2009 is when i started 08 you know when i decided to get my license when the market was crashing so very interesting time and everyone was telling me i was crazy <laughs> you know what are you doing you're getting into an industry that's imploding right now but uh, ended up, you know, working out very well for me. A lot of opportunity, kind of start on the ground floor. 
And, and did you start out in California? Yes. Yeah. So you know, I was in, I was in Los Angeles from 2003 to the end of 2014. So I started right at the beginning of 2009 as an agent out there at Keller Williams Realty. Okay. So you you started in the height of the breakdown, the when everything just right at the crazy. bottom of the rubble. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you you did it in California for five years, mm-hmm. and then you moved. To Move, the- yeah. Yeah. So uh, at the end of 2014, we moved back to well to Carmel. I was again, born in Indianapolis, but yeah, moved back here and then just basically transitioned the business here and started over really, I, which was a tough thing to do because I had, was just getting to that point in my career out there where getting a lot of momentum and doing very well. I mean, I just, the last year we were there, we closed 25 million in sales personally, which was a that's pretty huge. good amount. You know, yeah. I know it's California prices, but this was also 2014 when they weren't quite as high as they are today, but uh, just really getting going in the career. And I had to basically put the plug on it and and restart everything here. So how did you get going in either or both places? What what kind of processes did you do? What 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 did you do? What was your work like to get to the point of 25 million the last year in California? So I first started, I was just by myself. I would just immerse myself in the office. I would go there every day, even when I had nothing to do. And I would sit there all day. Uh, I would network with other agents. And really what I was trying to do at first was basically get their business that the, the busy agents didn't want. So I would network with some guys. I'd do open houses for them with any of their good listings that were in neighborhoods I liked. So I did a ton of open houses as well. I think the first year I did like 42 open houses. Wow. I mean, it was nearly every weekend, sometimes Saturday and Sunday. Because again, I had nothing to do. I had no business, no clientele. So that was my way to kind of immerse myself in it and meet a lot of people. So that was number one, uh, doing that. And and I also do some floor time. If anyone's familiar with what floor time is, essentially when a call comes into a real estate office, uh, let's say someone's driving by a property, they see a sign. That sign has a, the office number on it. They call that number. The receptionist basically will transfer that lead to agents that are working the floor, sitting there in the office, which usually means the newer agents. So caught a couple of those calls, got a little bit of business out of that as well. Uh, get some from the open houses. But after about four months, you know, I was doing okay. But I was in a uh, one of the weekly office meetings, and the number one agent at the time, the number one solo agent, Richard Shulman, uh, at one of the meetings had raised his hand and said, hey, I need someone to show this property later today. And got an opportunist. I realized, hey, this guy is super successful. He's my age. Um, he's always I'm always hearing about his closings and all his deals. So I raised my hand and said, I'll do it. Two weeks later, I had a $1.1 million cash deal under contract for that buyer. Wow. It was a buyer that he had worked with forever, couldn't convert him, and I did. And it was after that, we basically formed a team. Uh, he was, again, solo agent at the time. I was his first official buyer's agent. And I worked with him to grow that team. I t- Last year, he closed, I want to say it was like $350 million. Wow. He's one of the top agents in the country. He's one of the top 100 for Keller Williams worldwide. Wow. Uh, so very successful. And he's been my mentor in, in, in this whole time, really. But point is, so... Teaming up with a very successful agent who had too much business was a key there uh, because he could only handle so much. Uh, so I became his buyer's agent. He sent all the leads he didn't want to me, and I just worked them out. Yeah. Uh, again, when you're younger, you know, no kids. I wasn't married at the time. I just sat there and made a ton of calls and just, you know, hit the ground running as best I could to grind out as many deals as I could. So that's what st- that's what kind of got me going and. Richard, because of the business he was doing, he was able to put a lot of money into like Zillow leads and, and things like that back when I thought the Zillow leads were actually quality leads. Um, so we'd get a ton of internet leads and I would just, you know, I would work them. Right. And 
eventually, of course, you start closing more deals, you start getting referrals, repeat business, et cetera. So by that five-year mark, I was at that point where I had some momentum in kind of my own personal career, even though I was working with this team. Um, you know, I had worked with enough people at that time to where the volume of business was ramping up quite a bit for me. And then <laughs> and the plan at that point was I was eventually going to basically replace Richard. As he as Keller Williams teaches what's called the seven levels. Looks like a triangle. Okay. At the top of that level, basically your name's on the sign. You're collecting checks while you're in the Bahamas. Okay. While you have the full functioning team under you. So I was going to eventually work up to be sort of the CEO of his team. But again, uh, life uh, didn't take me <laughs> yeah. all the way there, unfortunately. So when I came back here, I made the decision to join a highly successful team right away. I mean, I knew the business. I didn't need coaching from that perspective, but I didn't know this market, you know, all the little different nuances. Real estate, of course, is generally the same everywhere, but right. of course there's nuances for each local market. Uh, and I knew the areas pretty well, but I, again, I didn't know the real estate side of things here. So I wanted to get on the fast track. I didn't want to go through that really hard grind on my own again, because you know, once is enough for me. Uh, and so I joined a team here, uh, again, a team that was doing a lot of business. And I was their buyer's agent for about eight months. Wasn't a great fit for me, just personality clashes and and things like that didn't work out. So after that, I said, you know what, I'm, uh, I, I kind of, that got me jump started a little bit here. Uh, and then I just said, I'm off on my own. And then I j just broke off from the team and did my own thing ever since. And Oh, uh, I'd say two years after that is when I left Keller Williams and went independent and, okay. and formed Peter Stewart Realty. So kind of what I hear, I, I think is interesting is because the perception of what people have of what real estate is like is that you go out, you show houses, you make all this money, you have beautiful cars and all this. What you just told us is it takes a tremendous amount of effort. It takes a, it, you really, it's, it's most of it's behind the scenes. Is that right? It looks like the iceberg. If you ever seen that photo where you see the tip sticking out of the water, but you then this humongous chunk underneath the water. And that's what, you know, it's all, it's an old adage for like, you know, people who are successful. That's what you only see that little bit, right. but it took, you know, it's not an overnight success. It took me 10 years to get there. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of work behind the scenes, especially if you want to be successful and yeah. it shows like, or channels like HGTV and whatnot really kind of messed up the perception of what an agent <laughs> yeah. does. They did they make it look very glamorous. Oh yeah, you get to hang out with your friends, network and socialize all the time and make millions of dollars. Like not quite. I mean, most people don't realize, I, I don't know the exact statistic, but I, I in my opinion, 10% of agents make about 90% of the money. Right. right. There's a very small elite group that actually makes real money where the rest are uh, not as successful or productive. Yeah. Many of them are poverty level. I yeah, mean, well, the average really agent low. sells six homes per year. Right. And you look at our average price point around two you know, for India, I think it's about two seventy five median price. Let's say three percent commission. Six deals. That's not very much money. Plus that's, your expense. Yeah, that's forty thousand dollars or so before. Yeah, all the expenses, self employment tax, et cetera. So, yeah, the, the, that's why there's a not a, a it's a ninety percent failure rate in this business in right. the first year. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah. People always think real estate is easy and they don't realize how hard you actually have to work. I mean, we get those easy deals once in a while. Sure, it happens. Right. But what you don't see is for that one easy deal, the 10 other ones that right. I spent six months on yeah. night and day. But yeah, um, it required a tremendous amount of effort to really get things off the ground. I mean, there were several times where I worked every day straight for months. I'm not, this, that's no exaggeration. Right. I'm talking full days for months at a time, grinding things out um, just to get it started. Yeah, that's what you have to do to yeah. get started. You yeah. have to work, and that's yeah. I, I wanted I wanted to call that out mm -hmm. because so many people have the, a misperception of what it really is. 
And they learn quickly, though. Yes. I, <laughs> but, you know, it's, I, I would like to keep them from getting in the business with the wrong perception. Yeah. Or, you know, if, if somebody wants to come in and they just think that they can just come in and they're going to be super successful and they don't have to do anything, that's a problem. I mm -hmm. think they need to know that. So either they don't waste their time or they come in with the right understanding. Because I've had we've had plenty of people come to sit down and they had that perception when they came in, and they're they're like, well, you know, I I wasn't going to work weekends and I wasn't going to do this and I wasn't going to do that and guess what I have to do all that yeah and, and, and decided then it was okay, <laughs> but it's no different than if you started a store yeah. You can't just not go into the store. No, and you're the opener, you're the closer, you're the cashier, you're the janitor, you're you know, especially we start a small you're business. Everything. You're you're everything. Yeah. So it's it's vitally important that that they have that. So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you for any real estate needs, buy, sell, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Sure. I'd say send, you know, go straight to my website, peterstuartrealty.com. Stewart is spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T. All my contact information is right there. You can read a little more about me, et cetera. But you know, cell phone, email whatever works out, you have text, it doesn't matter to me. But if anyone wants to reach me directly on my cell phone, it's area code 317-450-9202. Again, that's 317-450-9202 or on the website, peterstuartrealty.com. Okay, so peterstuartrealty.com. Yes. All right, perfect. And to get a hold of Ian or I, go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317-672-1938. That's 317-672-1938. And thank you so much for listening to Indy's Real Estate Gurus. The gurus we interview share valuable insights. They reveal their strengths, personalities, and how they'll work for you. Well, we hardworking mortgage guys secure your best mortgage. Real estate gurus work hard too. They avoid problems the amateurs just don't see. They listen and they find unrealized opportunities. If you're buying or selling a home, a real estate guru is a valuable asset. If you're even thinking of buying or selling a home, keep listening and definitely call one of Indy's Real Estate Gurus. All right, Peter. So we're going to take a side tour from the whole real estate thing. Let's sure. find out. If I take away your phone from you, you cannot Ooh. work. I know. Ooh. You're going to be in the fetal position for at least <laughs> yes. 30 minutes to an hour. But for the next 23 hours, what are you doing for fun? So if you, if I had to summarize myself, it's three main things that are important to me, and this, this will answer your question. So number one is family. My, my kids, my wife, that is my top mission in life. My top priority is being with them essentially, um, being a father, being a husband. So I spend my time with them. I mean, if I if I retired today and got all the money in the world, I would spend every waking second with my kids as much as I could, as much as they would stand me. Because um, they're in the young age right now, six and nine, and I know in a few years here, things are gonna change quite a bit. If they're anything like I was as a teenager, um, it, it's not gonna be pretty <laughs> for a while, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that I know my daughter for sure gained uh, my defiant attitude. But uh, number two, fitness and nutrition, very important to me. You know, your body is your temple. You keep that up, you keep it going. It affects every aspect of your life. So uh, I'm very uh, dedicated to fitness. I work, you know, usually works out six times a week uh, for the most part, do a lot of fitness events, things like that. So play with my kids, get a good workout in, get a good meal. Uh, and then work would be the third thing. So obviously taking that off the table, hang out with my kids, get a workout in, eat a good meal. Um, I'm happy. Outside of that, sit on a beach somewhere and enjoy some <laughs> sunshine. <laughs> So what when you say you 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 do a workout event or, or an event what 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 do you what do I mean yeah. yeah so I my interests shift here and there but I I do a lot so I've always worked out for the last twenty plus years been relatively dedicated but about three and a half years ago I really stepped it up and kind of you know, leveled up on that side of things so uh, 
marathon. I do a lot of half marathons like this year. I think I've ran five of them so far this year. Uh, triathlon, not not Ironmans yet, but more like sprint level triathlon, duathlons. Um, so a lot of running events, trail running. Uh, I'm big into the obstacle course racing. So if okay. you've ever heard of Spartan races, yep. like I just did one, the the Indiana one. Well, they, actually, they call it the Cincinnati one, but it was at uh, Perfect North, the Perfect North Slopes, which is in Indiana. Uh, the uh, what is it called? It's like a, a ski yep. area. Um, you don't realize Indiana has hills. Yeah, until it you, does. I did that course. My wife and I did it probably about four or five years ago. Uh, yeah, you don't realize Indiana has many hills when, yeah. until you run that. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll uh, <laughs> I'll change your perspective about Southern Indiana. Um, so a lot of those types of things. Uh, again, so uh, triathlons, running events, trail events, obstacle horse races. I I love. I just love that. And so my basic training is usually a weight, mix of weightlifting and, and running for the most part to prepare me for those. Yeah, it takes a lot of time. My my son's done one full Ironman. He did Lake Placid a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing ultra marathons. Oh, he's gotten to the ultras. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. But it, the time it takes, I mean, you, you're, your time commitment. One thing he does not have, and when he did that, he wasn't married yet. Now he's married, but he didn't have kids. So it's, you know, now he's doing the ultra marathons with, but it doesn't take as much time to train for one event as it does for three. Mm-hmm. But I respect anybody who can do that. I think there's something mentally wrong with them. I've <laughs> okay. heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't help but respect people who, who can do a marathon. A marathon. That was very I mean, challenging to. It's unbelievable. When I started that, kind of this journey was in September, 2019. At that time, I pretty much had never run more than about a block at a time. I did some CrossFit when I was younger, but there's very little running. Maybe it's a mile, but I would walk most of that anyway. So yeah, I had a long way to go to build up to, and I did uh, the first marathon I did, or the only one so far was the monumental marathon in November, 2021. So it took me two years to, to build up to that. But yeah, a lot of dedication and consistency and a lot of time commitment, but uh, I'm assuming you're getting to how do you make that work question or how, <laughs> yes. how do you fit it in? Yes. It's difficult. Um, you know, prioritization is key and uh, you got to wake up early, really. With a, if you're busy with work and kids, I have to wake up at 5 a.m. and get my workout in early. And when I was training for triathlon, I had to get up at 4 so I could make it to the pool by 5 to get my hour swim in, be back by 6.15, 6.30 to get the kids up and take them to school and, and then start my normal day. So most of it's early morning workouts and then I will carve out a you know hour, two hours on the weekend. Usually Saturday morning is kind of like my time to to get a workout in or whatever training I'm doing uh, that day. Yeah. But and, it's it's a big commitment for yes, sure. It, it depends on what you're doing as well. And last year I hiked, uh, did the Mount Whitney hike, which is it's a fourteen thousand foot peak. Wow. It's one of the tallest peaks kind of in in the country, and there's a, a I don't want to say famous, but a popular hike. You go to the top and back. It's a 22 mile round trip. It took me over 16 hours. Like it doesn't sound that hard, but it's actually very challenging. And so training for that, I'd have to drive down to Southern Indiana on a Saturday, go to Hoosier National Forest, and for you know four, six, eight hours plus down there by myself training. And then I come back. So basically, I have to miss all of Saturday for about two months straight um, to, to get prepared for it. Okay, I disagree with you. Yeah. It does sound challenging. <laughs> okay, doesn't sound that challenging. Does that sound challenging to you? Twenty-two miles and fourteen hundred feet. Fourteen thousand feet. Yeah, yeah, that sounds extremely yeah. challenging. <laughs> whoa, 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 they were just complaining about playing the NBA Finals in uh, Denver, where it's Mile High yeah, Stadium. 5, 000, yeah. I'm like, and you're just playing one basketball game. Yeah, a couple so, hours. Yeah. yeah, those guys aren't in good shape. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> uh, so. I do have to ask. So since you came 
from Los Angeles or uh, California. Is there a big difference between real estate selling there and real estate selling here besides price? Sure, great question. Um, yes and no. I mean, of course, yeah, price is the big one. But the, of course, the general process works the same. It's just, it's a much more competitive market out there. I mean, in 2012, so example, you know, the last couple of years here, arguably the, the busiest seller's market, strongest seller's market we've ever seen. Absolutely. Real estate went up approximately 30% in 2020, in two years, from 2020 to 2022. In 2012 in LA, prices went up 30% in that year alone. It was crazier there in that year than anything I ever saw here which benefited me tremendously oh, because yeah. I learned how to survive in a ultra competitive market, you know, riding, competing against 20, 30, 40. I saw, I had one property, there was 83 offers on out there. Wow. That, I mean, that's just too many. That, that's too many, especially because their their paperwork is this thick, you know, they're <laughs> way more documents than we have. I, I feel real sorry for that selling agent because they had a lot of paperwork, thousands of documents to go through. But um, so the competitiveness and, the level of sophistication, there's a lot of very smart, well-educated, sophisticated sharks in the real estate business out there. I mean, they could gravitate from all over the world. So uh, again, it was, it was challenging at first, but it, it benefited me because I basically you know cut my teeth on the best of the best. I mean, I interacted with multiple uh, of agents, so like million dollar listing, you know, some of those guys selling you know, ridiculous amounts of real estate. That's a whole other conversation though, because there's a lot of smoke and mirrors there. But um, <laughs> yeah, it, it'll it's Hollywood, let's yes. put it that way. But yeah, so that's one big difference. Um, and just b the way the market, like India, I can cover all of India and surrounding know all these areas very well. It's it's a large city, but s has a small feel. And I can get from one side of the city to the other in 45 minutes. LA is very, first of all, it's humongous. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's gigantic. And getting from one side of town to the other at the wrong time of town will take you four to five hours sometimes. That limits your business. So it becomes very niche and very local. Like, oh, you're the Santa Monica guy. You're the downtown guy. You're the mid-city guy. You're the valley guy. So um, very niche. So a lot of people would have uh, these specialties, you know, and you come over and get, oh, if I'm going to sell in Koreatown, it's like this little community and no one knows me because I don't sell there very often. So it's sort of hard to break in there. Uh, so some some subtle differences like that. But really, yeah, the price thing was the is the main one that everyone's well aware of. Yeah, it's it. It's always amazing to me because for like, we always see numbers for, for mortgage people. And it, it amazed me that there were people, I, I was speaking at a, at a conference and everybody wanted to talk about their numbers. You can't compete in Indiana with somebody from California. No, no, not at all. No, when you're talking dollars, now we talk compete. number of transactions. Yeah, they're yeah. a little oh, different. Oh, I killed them in number. Yeah. I, I did like three times yeah. the transactions. <laughs> And they, be, they beat me by like two times in yeah. price. <laughs> and it's it really, it opens up your eyes too when you're there of what real wealth looks like. Because we think here, oh, Carmel is rich area. This is nothing. You know, you're rich here if you have a $700,000 house. 700K over there is an entry level piece of junk today. I mean, homes in Compton, arguably one of the worst parts of the country, are selling eight dollars $900,000 today. It's wild. Yeah. That again here, what $900,000 gets you a gorgeous new custom house in one of the best neighborhoods, safest neighborhoods in the country. Right. Uh, so it's, it's vastly different. And because it's so large, if you'll go in the neighborhood, you're like, okay, everything in this neighborhood for as far as I can see many square miles, everything here is million dollars plus like the amount of wealth there is it's staggering. Is that why that we had so many people from California move, move here or invest here recently? 
absolutely a huge portion of my business, at least from the investment side of things, comes from California. And yeah, number one, there's no cash flow there anymore. Hasn't been for a long time. It's just too expensive. And rents and prices, like the price increases did not track with rent increases. You know, prices went up double, rents did not double. Okay. Um, so there's essentially, I mean, I know there's, this is not an absolute, but there's no cash flow in California. And anyone who has property who bought in the last, you know, 10 plus years has a, probably a tremendous amount of equity too. And they want to do something with it. So yeah, a lot of that money shifts to the Midwest because that's, this is where you can find cash flow where you, you know, $200,000 duplexes, that's super cheap to them for California. Right. I mean, you can't buy anything for 200K, maybe a small dilapidated garage you know, somewhere. That's <laughs> yeah. that's about it. Um, so it seems very cheap to them as well. We had tons of money flowing in from California here. Yeah, that's, I noticed that, that there, and it's a lot, it's a lot of cash. Buyers. A lot of cash, but I I've worked with some that are coming in from California, and that's it's always amazed it, it amazed me how many people were mostly investors, mm -hmm. but there were also I, I mean I heard agents tell me that oh yeah that house sold it sold for 150 over and they paid cash and they're out yep. of California, and it, and to them it was so cheap they couldn't pass it up even though they were paying more 150 over list price. Yep, and there are yeah there are a lot of people moving here as well. I think they've realized the quality of life here is. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, for what you get, yeah, California's got its pluses, but and not to digress too much, but like the reason I moved from LA, number one, we just had our, our first child and I wanted to give her kind of wholesome Midwest upbringing. But to me, it's just a better place to raise kids. Yeah, uh, Los Angeles was very dangerous. And this is a lot of parts of, of California as well. The, a lot of that local news of the things that happen there don't make it to the national news. So you don't see how bad it actually is. Uh, and a lot of people want to escape that. They, they realize that the, you know, there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of crime, a lot of homeless problems in many, many cities out there, very congested. we got small, like, there's a million reasons. There's, and you come out here like, wow, for, yeah, for 400 grand, I can get what? Like a newer <laughs> house here in this amazing area that's safe. I can go to a park and not have to worry about a bunch of crazy homeless people chasing me or screaming at me, or I don't have to worry about just some random person doing a very violent act. Like as an example, the last year we were in, in LA, there were three murders within a mile of our house. Wow. Yeah. And then we lived in a nice area in Mar Vista. It's two miles from the beach, right behind Marina del Rey. Nice area. At the time, you couldn't buy anything for under 700000 which, again, California prices is relatively affordable. But in the grand scheme of things, that's still not very cheap. Right. Um, and yeah, three murders. And in fact, the, the last straw was I came home from some showings on a Saturday at 4 o'clock. I'll never forget this. Opened the windows, cracked a beer, looked at my wife. Like, okay, you know, what, what are we going to do now? It's 4. I'm off work. All of a sudden, pop, 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 pop. And my wife looks at me and she goes, was that fireworks? And I'm, honey, I'm from the Midwest. Like, <laughs> those were gunshots. That was that was not fireworks. Um, so we walk outside. We we were three houses down from the bike path, the Marina Del Rey bike path, take it straight into the marina. Um, we used to walk it all the time. It's nice. It's like the Monon here, basically. Okay. We walk out. We saw these people gathering. We go look. Person laying on the street, on the sidewalk, right in front of a house, covered in blood, all these people standing around him. There's a drive-by shooting. And that person actually survived, but I talked to some neighbors and turns out the night before that someone was murdered at that house. And then it dawned on me, I woke up at 2 a.m. because the helicopter was right overhead, but it's so common there. I didn't really think anything of it. Ah. Six days out of the week, the helicopter would be ab above. It's just, that's LA life for you, you know? Here, if that happens, people are going to lose their minds because it's not normal. Um, but so that was a retaliation shooting for, for that murder. So we were just about to walk on that bike path, you know, and we could have hit, you know, my daughter, my dog, my wife, one, any one of us could have got hit right. by a stray bullet. So that was sort of the final straw, but things like that happen all over California all the time. And we just don't hear about these crazy stories. I mean, yeah, the, look, we all have our problems go down to 10th and rural or 38th and post here in Indianapolis. And 
you might catch a stray bullet too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, it's not quite as pervasive as it is in a lot of parts of California. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that I've thought it was always funny is, and you probably got this quite a bit, is when somebody moves from a larger city, whether it's either Atlanta, LA, wherever, and they move here and they're like, hey, look, I want to be close to roughly about 45 minutes from work. Yeah. I want to be here. And they're, they're like, wait, I can go from here to there in 45 minutes? It's I have that exact conversation <laughs> because like LA would be, okay, what time of day, where are you going? Where are you coming from? What time of day, what day of the week? And then you determine, okay, you can't go by, oh, it's three miles away. I, I can, oh, it's this long. I'll take it. Cause it could be 10 minutes. It could be three hours here. You're right. And I tell everyone because of our freeway system and because we're a grid city, you know, streets running North, South, East, and West, you can get anywhere in any time of day, any day of the week within 45 minutes. Like, so it doesn't pigeonhole you into any one area. Like a city like LA does. Yeah. If you work on the West side, you're living on the West side. Uh, you know, you, you work right. downtown, yep. you're living downtown. It's a, yeah. So it really opens it up here and, and, and allows access to the entire city very easily. Yeah. All right. So if somebody's looking to talk about real estate, whether to buy, sell, or just talk to you, mm -hmm. how would get a hold of you? I'd say the best way you can go to my website because you can have directly uh, do a direct message through the website. It's also got my cell phone and my email address right there at www.peterstewartrealty.com. And Stewart is spelled S-T-E-W-A-R-T. The so, correct way. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I like to think so. Yeah. <laughs> and to get a hold of Ian or I, go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317-672-1938. That's 317 317- 672-1938. All right. And before we get into question of the week, I do have one other question for you. So what separates you from uh, other realtors out there? What do you think that separates? Great question. Uh, so number one, my experience. So that to me is what really sets a lot of agents apart is your experience. It's not years in the business because that doesn't matter. You could be in the business 30 years. If you sell one house a year, you're not a very good agent, you know? But if, you, if you've been in the business five years and you sell a hundred properties a year, you're killing it and you're doing something right. Um, so number one, you know, I've been in the business 15, well, I'm in my 15th year at this point, sold about $200 million in real estate at this point. So a lot of experience, a lot of transactions. And I have experience in two markets. Um, not, not many agents do. I mean, yeah, I'm not the only one, of course, but um, again, coming from LA, that hyper competitive industry, again, I learned from the, some of the top agents in the world is it cut my teeth on them. So gave me a very strategic advantage and gave me a lot of skills that well equipped me to survive these market shifts uh, and thrive actually in these shifts versus kind of having to ride the roller coaster like many other agents have had to do. Uh, another thing that separates me is that I'm also an investor. I've been investing in real estate since 2011. That's when I bought my first rental property. Um, so I've got 12 years, I own real estate in four different states. So I'm a remote investor too. Uh, and I've done a lot of things in that investment space from flips to rentals, some land development and on the rental side, long-term and short-term rentals. So I have a lot of experience uh, with investors and I've been working with investors my whole career as well. And that is oddly something that very few real estate agents do. It's a niche that I've kind of gravitated towards and, and taken a hold of because it was an underserved market. Um, so I, I see real estate from not just the kind of emotional side of, oh, I raised my kids here and it's going to be nice going to the school district, but I look at it from a true investment potential and perspective as well. Yeah, I think it's vitally important if you're going to buy rental property to have somebody who understands rental property and yeah. understands. Oh, yeah. Because buying it is only a piece of it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a long-term, most people, it's a reasonably long-term investment, whether you're flipping it or, 
or or whatever, you need somebody who knows how to do that. Yes. On your side. Yeah, you'd be amazed at how few agents really do any type of investing and not that many agents even own their own home. A dirty little secret, kind of scary, but there's a, there's a lot that do not. But on the investment side though, yeah, you're right. It's uh it's a totally different language. I mean, yes, the general process, offer writing, showing homes, kind of works the same, but a lot, it's, it's way different. You speak a completely different language when you're talking to an investor and how you're looking at the property, analyzing it versus right. a traditional owner-occupant. Yeah, and then you have to understand how to manage it because that can be difficult. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and you yeah, you need all those resources for your, your your team in place. That's what they always talk about on the investing side is yeah. you know, building your team, the agent, the property manager, the lender, the contractor, et cetera. And yeah, I help, I help my clients do all of that. Yeah. So what would you, and I, it may kind of be similar to what Ian just asked, but what would you say your superpower or superpowers are? Excellent question. Um, well, boy, you're going to stump me here. I should have prepared for that one. Well, actually, <laughs> I think you've kind of answered it. Number one, what you just said on what separates you is kind of some of your superpowers. Yeah, having having that experience and that knowledge definitely sets me apart um, from a lot of agents for, for, the, for those obviously stated reasons. Um, number two, one of the differences for me is that I actually really enjoy and love real estate. I'm very passionate about it. And you hear people kind of give you lip service by saying that, but I truly think about and look at real estate every day. I mean, all my chips are in the real estate basket. I don't have a, you know, a side hustle. I don't have another business. I don't have stocks, 401ks. I don't have any of that. Everything I do goes into real estate. I live, eat, sleep, breathe real estate seven days a week. When I'm driving on a road trip with the kids going down to Florida or something, that's all I basically do is I'm looking, I just, my brain is always looking at homes, looking at areas. Like I just am always analyzing it, thinking about it. Uh, I'm very interested by it. So yes, this is a job in that sense, but it is more than that to me because I, I'm, I'm actually truly interested and 100% invested in it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very important. Not only is it foot, put food on my kid's table, but that's the family business on the rentals, you know, uh, property management, not property management, but you know, the rentals and, and things like that. And that's going to be my legacy passed down to my kids. Um, so it's, it, that becomes very, very important to me. Whereas some people, it's more just that a job, it's the thing they do, you know, from nine to five or whatever. And, and they go do something else afterwards where, um, I feel like I'm, you know, it's called it a lifestyle. Essentially. It's not a job to me. It is a lifestyle. So that is not something I find in a lot of people. They, they, they treat it more as truly a job. Yeah. And I, I mean, just as a get, I mean, I, I'm, just from what I've noticed is I think number one, you're extremely professional. Thank you. You have tremendous knowledge. Part of that's because of the 15 years, but a lot of people have 15 years experience and don't have a lot of knowledge, right? That Oh yeah, yeah. I deal with them every day. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't, just because like you said, years of experience only matters if you do volume two and have done a lot. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I think you're a extremely good communicator, which I think is extremely important when somebody's looking to buy or sell a home. The communication piece, of, thank you for, for that, I appreciate it. And that is one of the things I've I noticed early on in my career and I always strive to to do a very good job of is the communication piece of it. Cause that, that is, is huge um, for many, many reasons. But it's amazing at how many agents are actually very bad at communication. You know how many agents I call to get information on a property because I have a client who wants to write an offer and I don't get a call back at all. I have to follow up three, four times. You know, I send offers to agents, nothing back. I have to keep, hey, what's going on? Hounding them, hounding them. Like, it's ridiculous how bad it actually is. And then, but then you start thinking, well, this is why 90% of agents fail. Yeah, right. they're very bad. And I, I'm, I've gotten a ton of business because, oh, hey, I called three other agents. No one got back to me. You did. Or, hey, I put out this inquiry. You got back to me in five minutes. 
The other guy took two days to get back to me. I'm going to hire you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I gained a lot of business by being very responsive and, and having a, a very high level of communication with my clients and open communication yeah. too. Cause you know, people want to know what's going on. Yeah. They're, they're probably making the biggest purchase or biggest sale of their, of their lives. Uh, they're trusting me with it. And you know, this is not their industry. They typically don't know the, the process. And so, yeah, educating them and keeping that communication going throughout the process is, is huge and very instrumental in uh, getting to where I am today. Yeah, well, I would say for anybody out there listening who is looking at hiring a real estate agent, if they won't communicate with you before you work, start working with them, you shouldn't probably be working with them because it's not going to get better once you hire no. them. It's going to get worse. The big red flag in the beginning. Yeah. Absolutely. You got to have communication. Yes. Well, speaking about communication, go ahead. Let's get into the question of the week. I figured you might. All right. The question of the week is sponsored by Hey, Rick and I, the hardworking mortgage guys, where we believe in helping and supporting you and your realtor by sending constant updates through the loan process. We do not like living in a black hole, so we do not allow you. All right. So here is the question for you What was your first car? First car was a 1989 Honda Accord. It was a two-door white car. I bought it. It was all tricked out. It had the rims, had a spoiler, had the stereo system. <laughs> I was the coolest guy ever. Uh, <laughs> with my little four-cylinder, 110 horsepower, you know, little rice burner. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the first one. Yes, but it probably still runs to today. It, it might, but I, I want to know because I know you're a car guy. So I want to know what was your most your favorite car, the best car you think you've ever had? Great question. And uh, that was my 1975 Chevy Caprice Classic Convertible. I bought it when I was 19, right when I was uh, down at IU. It was gorgeous. Some older woman had had it in a garage. I bought it with 49,000 miles. It had been sitting in a garage for 20 plus years. It was mint, sparkly blue exterior, white, uh, probably pleather. I don't think it was real leather. White, the white guts, as they say. That car was a head turner. It was awesome. It looks so pretty. Got so much attention, and it looks convertible. So you know, you can throw the top down and yeah. cruise around on those nice summer days in Bloomington. Uh, had a lot of fun with that one. I really regret selling it. Yeah, we all. There's always cars. Yeah. Those car guys would go, man. I wish I had that one back. Yeah, I mean, one day I'll probably go buy another one and restore it because uh, they seem to be hard to find these days. I mean, I look around occasionally, but yeah, that was a real fun one. And if I had to choose a second one, I did have a Pontiac Firebird Formula at the end of college. It's actually what I sold the convertible to get because convertible required a lot of maintenance. And as a broke college kid, I couldn't deal with that. So yeah. I needed something a little more modern. And that was fun too because that was this six speed stick shift and did have the, uh, the 5.7 liter V8 in it. Uh, had a lot of power. Yeah. It was fun. I mean, I think it was 300 horsepower, which to today's standards are not much, but for a 20-year-old kid, you know, with stick shift, yeah. And what year was it? That was a 95. Yeah, so that that was a lot of power back in 1995. Well, I bought I, – I mean, it was a 95 model. I bought it in 2001. Yeah. That's still – I mean, it, cars were getting there, but yeah. they were still not – I mean, 300 horsepower even today is considered pretty decent horsepower. It's just not the killer no. power of the demon that you and I were yeah. talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, just think about it. Here soon, you get to put your kids through their first car, and you get to go through theirs and decide what. So just you can either pick something fun or 
something. Hey, here's a $500 car. (laughs) My wife and I had that conversation. So they are, they're not going to get new, but they're not going to get the complete beater either. Cause I, I I can afford something for them. That's safe and reliable. That that's the most important thing, but they're definitely not getting anything fun. They've got to earn (laughs) that. I'm not getting anything too fast, but yeah, uh, you know, I don't know, Honda, newer Honda Accord or something like that's probably where I'd go with them, but safety is going to be the priority. I can tell you for my, me, it did not matter. It was fun. Oh, yeah. And I had to drive a gremlin. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And it was still fun. <laughs> yeah. Freedom, right? Yeah. Four wheels. That's all you need. Who cares? As a, as a teenager, yeah, it didn't really matter. Yeah. It's cars are, I, well, I like cars. Yep. So we just started a new series, uh, still about real estate, but we're doing up a new agent. Literally, she just got her license uh, in April. So, uh, as she just right now learning the contracts, trying to get her name out there. What words of wisdom do you think you would have for, and her name is Lexi. Okay. So for Lexi, I mean, number one, it depends on what she's trying to do with her business. You know, is this sort of just a side thing? Is this her full-time thing? Does she have a spouse that, you know, is the breadwinner and she just needs to bring a little money to keep herself busy? Or is this like, you know, her career that she's going for? But uh, to get going, words of wisdom, number one, training. So if you're in, with any of the big, I recommend starting out with one of the big brokerages first. I think they have amazing training. That Keller Williams is, is known for their training. In fact, when I was still with them, they were the number one training organization in the world, like across all industries. They were known and, and prized for their fantastic training. Um, so, you know, I know all the brokerages have some kind of training. Uh, training program there. So that number one in the education piece of it, getting up to speed on things, because when you get your license, they teach you all the theories and whatnot. But in reality, you only apply about 5% of that into the business. And the training side of things, once you get into a brokerage is going to teach you the real day-to-day ins and outs, lead generation, follow-up, all, you know, scripting, all that kind of stuff. So I would definitely do that. And I think a great path, if you don't have a huge network of people that you can maybe rely on to get those initial sales going, you know, kind of the low hanging fruit, friends and family, uh, definitely teaming up with a, a high producing agent and get on their team, become a buyer's agent. Cause you'll get fed leads, you get trained, you get up to speed. Uh, and it's kind of a fast track into jumpstarting your career. That's awesome. I mean, everybody needs to, especially when you first start needs those words of wisdom. So it's nice to hear. Uh, so I do, I do. I like to ask my favorite question. So What's your most memorable deal? Most memorable deal. Well, that would be, I can't divulge who this was, but I did work with an A-list celebrity when I was out there. They, uh, very, very well known, you know, like Tom Cruise level, not Tom Cruise. I wish it was him, <laughs> um, but they, I showed them a bunch of houses. So that was just, I was happy if they didn't buy anything just to be able to meet them and go to her homes with this person uh, was amazing. But uh, they ended up buying, uh, it was only a four and a half million dollar house. They were moving from a much larger home, kind of downsizing. Um, So it was a four and a half million dollar deal in Sherman Oaks. That was probably my favorite one. Uh, It was, I mean, obviously commission was good too and all that. I did have to share it with another agent um, because we're kind of double teaming them. But that, that was probably my favorite. And then really my first one, I mean, that, my my partner Richard at the time, I'll never forget. He turned to me. He's like, after the closing, he's like, "Don't get used to that. There, it's not all like that." Because again, it was cash, two week closing, over a million bucks. So of course, for me, I'm like, "This this is easy. I go awesome. You know, no HGTV problem." HGTV is yep, here we come. Yeah, can get that Lamborghini order next week. And uh, obviously, the reality of the market hit hit me. And it wasn't quite that way, but it, it was very wise of him to tell me that. Yeah, they're not all that easy. But it was it was just an awesome kind of initiation and jumpstart in, into the industry to, to have success like that right off the bat. 
Don't you think that's one of the things that really hurts a brand new agent is they, if they earn money right away, many of them, I think that's why they end up out of the business. They go spend it. Yeah. And that's not what you should do because uh -uh. it doesn't just <laughs> keep rolling. No, no. You have, when you switch to a hundred percent commission based type, uh, job. Yeah. It's, it's totally different mindset there. You gotta be very careful because it could be a roller coaster, especially in the beginning. And yeah, you've got to save every penny. Yep. The, the, the next deal, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know when it's going to land. And yeah, until the day it closes, that money's not in your pocket. That's right. No, so what does your team look like? So it's, I'm, I keep it very small, bare bones. It's just myself and my assistant, Linda. Uh, this year, I'm going to look to expand and, and bring a buyer's agent onto the team as we're getting to a point where I can only handle so many transactions. Right. And I would like to start building a more traditional team so I can, I would say, not remove myself from the business, but start taking a step back. I mean, still to this day, I, this is no lie. This is not an exaggeration. Uh, since I started in this business, I've not taken a full day off yet. I, I, now, that doesn't mean, I'm talking, you know, sometimes I'll sit down and, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, emails, easy stuff, you know, in my underwear and, and, you know, whatever, on the couch and the laptop in Florida on the beach. But I've never for 24 hours turned it off and not worked, not one day. So eventually building up that team to get some people in place to where I can start, you know, I don't have to work the nights and the weekends quite as much and eventually build that seventh level to where, again, it's, it's my name on the sign and, you know, I'm on the beach somewhere collecting those checks. That would yep. be nice because it, it's hard working seven days a week and, and being kind of on no matter what, no matter where you go, because the business lives and dies by me right now. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's just, just me and my, my assistant, Linda. And there's always something to do. Always. Yep. So I think we should give him a goal. Let's lock him in a closet, take away his phone. I and mean, he's bigger than us. So you're you're going to go first on this one, Rick. Uh, <laughs> this is not my idea. <laughs> I don't even think it's a good one so far. All right, then if we if we're not going to take them away from business, let's give them business. What's the best way we somebody can reach you? Uh, directly on my cell phone, uh, area code three one seven four five zero nine two zero two. Again, that's three one seven four five zero nine two zero two. That's direct to me. You're not going through any answering service. Not going through my assistant. That is my personal phone. I will answer it. If I don't answer, leave me a message and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Yeah, can't answer all of them, but no, no I'd like get to. Back. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Or you can text me too. That, that is absolutely fine. And to get a hold of Ian or I, go to hardworkingmortgageguys.com. That's hardworkingmortgageguys.com. Or you can call 317 672 1938. That's 317 672 1938. And thank you for joining us. And please follow us for more Indies Real Estate Gurus. And reminder, if you have any friends, family, or coworkers looking to buy, sell, refinance, contact us and we'll be more than happy to help you. Uh, Peter, it's been phenomenal having you on the show and the stories, I love them. So, well, I think I really appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, I could talk all day about this. Stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, like I said, I'm very interested in it and I'm happy to share. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to have me out here and it was great chatting with you guys as well. Right. Well, we appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you. Branch NMLS number 33041. Rip NMLS number 6645898. Ian Arnold's NMLS number is 1995469. Equal housing opportunity. Some restrictions apply.